So I was here when she went through that before the service, and I said, okay, that is totally unfair. <laughs> right? Who wants to come up right after that? It's just wrong. It's wrong. You might not, you might be saying, who is that? Celeste and her, I know, come on, and her husband Chandler, they were part of the plant team that started this church nine years ago. And, uh, and she uh, led this church in worship for many, many, many years. And so it's just a real treat. Now her and Chandler are helping to uh, anchor uh, as part of the core leadership team for the Williamsburg campus. But it's just a treat for us to have you with us again tonight. So she was, jo- was joking when she came. At Kaylee was with her and she had her stuff. And Hannah came over to help her. And she said, just put my stuff in the seat that I used to sit in when I was at this campus. It was great. So that's good stuff. Hey, I got a couple of things I want to do before I... Uh, launch into, uh, into my message tonight. One is that I uh, just want to say hi to Adriana. It's good to have you. She's been a little Starbucks, little Starbucks there. So she's been on an internship program that I'm hoping we're going to have one of those soon ourselves. So people like Adriana don't have to go somewhere else to do that. So we're excited for what God's doing in her life. So, and then I think, I, I know of a couple, I don't know if everybody's here, but, but if, if I'm missing you, then you can raise your hand. But is April Hauser in here? Where is April? Did we see April? She's right all the way in the back. So I have a, she just graduated, getting her degree. Come on, grown-up degree time. So a little Starbucks, little Starbucks. So, and then uh, I know Nicole Adams just graduated, but I don't see the Adams is here. Anybody else? Anybody else an adult who just finished some, 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 some schoolwork? Yeah? Oh, come on. Yeah, all right. Let's, let's just share the It's good to see you, young lady. It's good to see you. She's going to culinary school, so you want to get to know her. You want to get to know her. Malcolm, did Malcolm just finish something? Yeah. Come on, got his master's. Sweet. I like that. I like that. That's good stuff. Hey, too, I just want to share, hey, next week, if you're a guy, you want to be here because we're going to go see American Sniper at the end of the service. The true story of Chris Kyle. You better get your tickets online. I, we don't know what showing we're going to go to yet. I'll post that on Facebook because they've not posted those showings yet. Uh, we're going to go to, I think it's called Paragon City. I've not been there yet in City Center. I hear they've got nice, comfortable seats for old people like me watching movies. So, so I, I think it's, it could be a sellout because there's just a lot of buzz going around about this movie. So get your tickets in advance because if you wait to the last minute and then you try to roll over there with us and there's not a seat for you, our motto is not like the military, we will leave you behind. So I'm going to see that movie with or without you. So this is your warning. Get your t- Once you see it posted on Facebook, you can go get your ticket in advance. And if you're not an online person, you can actually go to the theater during the week and buy the ticket in advance for the showing that you want to go to. So, hey, I've got one more thing that I want to do. So this young lady right here, I just felt like God gave me something during the worship set I want to share with you. And that's part of the risk of sitting so close to the pastor <laughs> during the worship service. So is that okay if I share that with you? Okay. Um, so th- this is a special night for me because this is the first time I'm preaching since my dad died on November 24th. So this is the cross that he wore. I'm going to wear this probably for a little while when I preach. And uh, part of my dad's journey at the end of his life was that he had Parkinson's with dementia. And so he did not know who we were for probably the last couple of years. So this is a big night for me because he's not heard me preach for a few years. And so he gets to hear me tonight 
because he's in heaven. And, uh, but, but I got a little emotional during the worship set because I had not thought about how, not only has he not had an opportunity to hear me preach for a few years, but he's not known who I am for a few years. And tonight he knows me again. And as I was praying about that, this is just what I felt like God shared with me that I want to share with you is that part of your journey in life is that there have been people who are supposed to love you who have chosen not to know you and that God's not ever going to treat you that way. And that he wants you to live the rest of your life with your heart full of knowing that he's going to love you like nobody else can and that he's going to chase after you and that he wants your heart to be full with the knowledge that he knows who you are. So can we just pray for her tonight? Father, I just lift up this young lady. She has such a big destiny that's in front of her in her journey that her life is filled with so much purpose. And even though the people that were supposed to care for her, God, even though that maybe they have failed her, God, that you're not ever going to do that. And I pray whether it's this church, and I know Monica is her friend, and whoever else that you're going to raise up around her, that we're going to be the people that cheer her on to fulfill her destiny. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody sit together. Amen. All right, so I have one card left, so I'm going to give that to you for letting me, letting me make you feel conspicuous. So I, I don't know who she is, and so I had to ask, and so I asked Monica when I found out she was Monica's friend. I was like, can I share with her? Will that be okay? And so I wanted to make sure I got permission for that. So we're going to, I had two things I want to talk about tonight. I'm not sure we're going to get through it because I heard, I heard Jamie took you guys to seven o'clock last week while I was out of town. Come on. Yeah. So, and, 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 and I didn't think we were starting until six tonight anyways, if you read my blog from, so we're just, right, we're just getting started. So if you don't know why that's funny, you should follow me on Facebook. So, all right, okay. Hey, so we're, we're, we've been in this series for, for a while now called Project Hope. I, I think it's the longest series that we've done. I'm, just, I, I'm loving this series. I hope that you are. And uh, we've probably gotten more feedback from this series from any series that we've done. And so we've switched the media up, the art that goes with the series. This is one of my new favorite shows, Life Below Zero. Anybody else watching the show? It's so good. And, uh, and, and I think the metaphor of the image of this show is so good for this series because sometimes the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in this life, we feel desolate. We feel desolate. And in those times in, in, of desolation, we're desperate for hope. And so that's what this series is about, is how we can have hope, how we can find hope. And the idea that I'm going to share with you tonight that we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks is that the virtue of hope always begins with a promise from God. The virtue of hope always begins with a promise from God. Now, we've alluded to this in the series, but we've not really drilled down on it specifically. And so we're going to be doing that tonight and again next week and maybe into January. We'll, we'll see how far I get tonight. But part of this idea of the emphasis on virtue, if you've been tracking with us for a minute on time, we've been making a distinction between the emotion of hope and the virtue of hope. The emotion of hope is circumstance dependent. The human emotion of hope is when my situation is good and when my, my circumstances are good, I feel hopeful. When my situation and my circumstances might go bad, that hope just erodes away. The virtue of hope is circumstance transcendent. It means that even when my situation might feel desperate, even though when my situation might feel desolate, there's this sense of hope that is anchored inside of me that will not go away just because my circumstances have gone bad. 
This is part of what Romans 4, 18, 19, this verse that I keep putting in front of you week in and week out, is even when there was no reason for hope, he was in a desolate situation. His circumstance lend themselves to desperation. Abraham, what did he do? He kept hoping because he had the virtue of hope, not just the emotion of hope, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Why? Because he had a promise from God. The virtue of hope always begins with a promise from God. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants that you will have talking about the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. There was this amazing promise that he had been given, but Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, and his wife, too, was well beyond childbearing years. His body was as good as dead. His situation and his circumstance seemed to call God a liar, but that's where the virtue of hope kicks in. He had a promise, and that promise was a seed that was planted in his life, and hope came alive. I've been praying about this message this week, and, and, and I thought, you know, there's probably some people that are going to be here tonight that are asking the question, where's my promise? Where's my promise, right? I don't know. I read the Bible like that sometimes. I, I trust that you do too, where you say, which is what I've said, if God were to do that for me, my situation would be a lot better. If he would speak to me like he spoke to them, I could have hope in my desperate circumstance. You might be here tonight and you're facing some real desperate situations. It might be that your family, maybe your loved one is facing some addictions that are controlling their life and you have prayed and you have wept and you have cried out and it feels as though God has no promise for you. You might be here tonight and maybe your spouse has walked out on you. Maybe right before Christmas, your husband or your wife has just left and abandoned you and you've prayed and you've cried and you've read and you've wept and it feels as though there's no promise for you. It might be that your financial situation moving into Christmas is the worst that it's ever been and you don't know how to tell your kids that there might not be Christmas this year. You have prayed and you have cried and you have wept and you have cried out for God, but yet it feels as though there's no promise for you. I've been in places like that in my life. I trust that you've been in places like that and I believe that there's some people here tonight that you're in that place right now and you're saying, Fred, I hear what you're talking about, this virtue of hope. I want that virtue, but I need the promise. How, how can I have that virtue? virtue of hope if there's no promise that God has yet to give to me. Years ago, I heard a pastor tell this story about a small town country preacher who was invited to a reception after the play was over. And the actor that was in this play was a famous actor and was going to be at that reception as well. And so this small town country preacher knew somebody who knew somebody and was able to get an invitation. They were all excited to meet this famous actor. And so at this reception, the, uh, the, the actor, the famous actor, had a chance to meet the small town country preacher. And later on that night, the actor was expected to do some type of performance as a treat for those who had the privilege of being there. And so this actor chooses to do a rendition of Psalm 23 and being a little bit arrogant, thought that they might have an opportunity to make light of the small town country preacher. And so this actor, as you would expect, gave the most incredible rendition of Psalm 23. I mean, it was eloquent. It was poetic. His voice filled the room when it was supposed to fill the room. It was a whisper when it was supposed to be a whisper. And then at the end of his rendition, he kind of snickers a little bit and invites the reverend to come up and says, why don't you try share a reading with us? And so the small town country preacher, he paused for a moment, not out of reluctance like people thought, but because he knew he had an opportunity to touch the world. So he comes up and he begins his rendition of Psalm 23 and he says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads 
me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. And he just goes on and on calmly with great emphasis given to every personal pronoun that's in that psalm. And by the time that he was done, the room was completely quiet, not because people were embarrassed for him, but because they wanted to be like him. The room was quiet, not because they had any question about who gave the better rendition. They understood in the moment that this actor, he had read a script. He had read it perfectly, yes, but to him it was just a script. But to this man, they were promises. To this man, he knew the one who had written them. He knew God. And everybody else in that room longed to know God just like he did. For some of you tonight, the Bible has just been a script. It has to stop being a script, and it has to become for you a collection of promises that have been given to you by your Father in heaven who loves you and who knows you. And one of the reasons why you're desperate to have that is because God is not always going to give us a specific promise for every situation. Oftentimes, we must rely on countless promises about his goodness to sustain our hope in situations with an unknown outcome. If you're in a circumstance, in a situation, and it feels as though God is withholding the promise, sometimes he asks us to walk through a situation with an unknown outcome, and he does not give us a specific promise because there is a general revelation of the goodness of God that he wants you and I to rely upon. I'm going to read out of Romans 8, 31 to 37. Romans 8, 31 to 37. Jamie preached out of Romans 8 not too long ago, and while he was preaching, I felt like God really began to speak to me, which is where this little series within the series has been born out of. It says, what shall we say about, about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us when we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, which is a reference to Psalm 44, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. There are some questions in this text that need to become promises for you and for me. There's four that we're going to focus in on. We're going to definitely get through one, maybe two tonight. We'll see. But that first one is, what shall we say? The next one is, who, dare, who dares to accuse us? Then there's, who dares to condemn us? And is there anything that can separate us? These are four rhetorical questions that the Holy Spirit inspires the Paul to write to this letter to the churches of Rome. And with these four questions, I'm telling you, there are 
four amazing promises that you and I need to get a hold of. You and I need to get a hold of these promises, and I believe there's going to be some prophetic moments for people tonight just being here that some of these promises for you are going to be the promise that is, is the seed of hope that you've been looking for. It might not be a specific promise about your specific situation, but it's going to be a promise that gets planted in your heart and hope is going to come alive in you. Come on tonight. So the first one is this, what shall we say? What shall we say? So let me read verses 31 and 32 again. What shall we say about such wonderful things of these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? What shall we say? So what are some times in your life where you've been speechless? Come on, church here is not a spectator sport. So I'm going to walk around in just a minute, but while you're thinking one, I'm talking not about times where you've been speechless because things have been so bad. I'm talking about times where you've been speechless because things have been so good. Vanessa and I had experience of being speechless when things were so bad on our trip to Atlanta for Chris and Shanika's wedding because we went to see the movie Exodus. Oh, good God, it's terrible. I was so disappointed. Anybody else? Right, we got to the parting of the Red Sea and I looked at Vanessa, I said, good God Almighty, they haven't even done the 10 Commandments yet. We're out of here. Right. I can't remember the last time I've walked out because you know, I love movies. Ridley Scott's one of my favorite directors. I have never been to a movie so poorly cast, so uninspired, and I expect people to take liberties. I'm just gonna get on my soapbox for a minute. I expect people to take liberties, right, when, when secular groups make movies about, about Christian stories. I just expect that. I'm not uptight about it. I'm uptight about other things, but I'm not tight, tight about that. But if you're gonna take some liberties, don't use those liberties to make the story worse. All right, I'm just saying, right? Use the liberties to stink and make it. All right, so we were speechless. We walked out, looked at each other and goes, what, what was that? Terrible. Okay, so now that I've gotten that off my chest, thank you. It's cathartic for me. All right, so speechless when things have been good. Did I see Dale's hand pop up? Come on, when he turned around and saw his wife. If you are married, you better take notes right here, people. It is a points-based system. I'm trying to help you understand that. Well played, sir. Denise? Come on, the first time you saw your son. Yeah, yeah same thing, stole yours. Yeah. Nice. I like the necklace. Is that blinking? Blinking lights on the necklace. Nice. I like it. Stan? When Betsy said yes to my marriage. Betsy said yes to my marriage. Come on. Somebody else. Walking around. Walking around. Don't look the pastor in the eye. That's what everybody's thinking. Somebody else? Time where you've been speechless. Adriana? When your fellow's tuition was paid off. Come on, that's good. Kevin. Being at the front of the Notre Dame and being able to pray. When you were on the world race, is that what that? Paris during college, nice. Did I see a hand over here somewhere? No? Huh? In the back, I can't see you, but just shout it out. Oh, yeah, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, awe inspiring, right? There's times in our lives where we're less speechless. There's time, even, the, even the most vocal people, right? Even the people have more words to get out than we would like for them to have, right? <laughs> the, the, there are times in all of our lives where we're left speechless. Paul begins the wrap-up of Romans 8, which as Jamie preached just a couple of weeks ago, is one of the most promise-filled texts in all the Bible. He's, he's coming into the home stretch. He's building up to this great crescendo. And so he says, what shall we say? What, what is, why does he use that? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire him to write that? Because he's saying, you and I, when we have the kind of revelation of 
the goodness of God that we're supposed to have, we should be left speechless. Human intellect and earthly language should leave us speechless because we see how big and how grand and how great the goodness of God is and his promise of being good to us is not circumstance dependent. And Paul is trying to say to you, and Paul is trying to say to me, if you don't get a hold of this what shall we say promise when you face situations and circumstances that are desperate and desolate and the outcome is unknown and you feel as though that a promise is being withheld from you, you can still stand in a place of hope because you have the great promise of what shall we say. Paul gave the first 30 verses to the promises because he understands that unless people have a revelation of the goodness of God, hope has no seed of inception. I have that hashtag up there, no excuse. I think Paul is trying to encourage us in Romans 8, and I think he's also trying to lay down a challenge. I think Paul is trying to encourage us, but I think part of what Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to do is that he's saying if you have made a vow of devotion to Christ, if you're in the family, if you've taken your first spiritual breath, you do not have an excuse for despair. You do not have an excuse for hopelessness. Now, he's not saying live in denial. He's not saying don't be honest when your situation and circumstances are bad. That whole teaching about negative confessions, it's a terrible teaching, right? They're supposed to be, read the book of Psalms. David was the worst then of negative confession in the history of the world. Right? There's a time and a place to be honest about our, our doubts. If you study the story of Abraham and Sarah, he's extolled as this great man of faith and a person who hoped against hope, but there were times where he wrestled with doubt. There were times where he struggled. There were times where they even laughed at the promise. But because they had a promise, they didn't get stuck there. Because David had a greater revelation of the goodness of God that transcended the situation and the circumstance that he was facing, even when he wrestled with despair, he did not get stuck there. We do not have permission as followers of Christ to get stuck in our despair. We're gonna feel despair. We're gonna wrestle with doubt. That's part of the gift of the community of the church is that we come and encourage one another. That's part of what Galatians 6 is about, bearing one another's burdens, that when we see people around us that, that maybe are in a desperate circumstance and we know they don't have a promise and hope is faltering in them, we come and we begin to encourage them and we begin to remind them of one of the greatest promises that's ever been given. It's the what shall we say promise. That God is only and always good. That God always has our best interest at heart. That right after this, what shall, right before this, what shall we say is one of the greatest promises that we've ever found in scripture where Paul writes, for all things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What shall we say? We should be speechless in our revelation of the goodness of God, even when our circumstance and our situation might say something to the contrary. Now you might say, well, Fred, I don't know a lot about Paul, but he was a pretty heavy hitter spiritually. I mean, he, he, had a pretty, he, he lived a pretty good life, right? I mean, he traveled around the world, and he planted all these churches, and God used him to write much of the Bible. Maybe it was easy for him to write these things because he did not have an occasion to despair himself. And just in case you're thinking that, let me read these words to you. 2 Corinthians 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? This is Paul referring to people that were stirring up trouble at the church of Corinth. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. 
I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, which means that people tried to kill him by throwing rocks at him and crushing him to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers, and I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. He suffered betrayal, come on, at the people he was supposed to be able to trust. I face danger in the cities and in the desert and on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I want to keep reading here. I was going to, oh, that's good. I'm supposed to go to 29. I like this part here. Then besides all this, if all of that wasn't bad enough, this, this is great to give you some insight into churches can be hard sometimes. Besides all this, meaning that if you think that was bad, listen to this. I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Listen to what he says. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? That's powerful, isn't it? He's saying that when other people that he loves are suffering, he feels the own pain of it in his own heart. Who is led astray? I do not burn with anger. I love this text because it gives Paul incredible credibility. You know, sometimes people that come to encourage us, their words feel light because they've not walked in our shoes. Sometimes when we're suffering, well-intended people come to encourage us, but, but it, 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 it feels a little light because we know they just don't know. That's not Paul. When Paul says to you, when Paul says to me in Romans 8, what shall we say? When he's saying, hey, you have got to get a hold of this revelation of the goodness of God. What he's saying to you is, hey, and don't think that I have not had my own opportunities to be tempted away from that revelation. Don't think that my life has been so perfect and my circumstances and situations have always been so easy that it's been simple for me to say that I have suffered. He's saying more than most of the world, most of us, in our life will never be able to write a list like that. Most of us will never be able to write a list like that. And yet even Paul, what does he say? I don't always need to have a specific promise for a specific circumstance in a specific situation because I have one of the greatest promises of all. It's a what shall we say promise that God is good. And even when my circumstance seems to say to the contrary, even when it feels like God is being intentionally silent, even though it feels like he's saying, I'm not going to give you the promise that you're longing for, something inside of you says, that's okay, God, I don't need the promise because I've got the greatest promise and the greatest promise is that you're my father and you always have my best interest at heart. So Marvin's going to come up in just a second and share a couple of weeks ago during the, the communion, you can grab that mic right there and he's going to come up and I just want to set it up a, a little bit. So uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was doing the communion moment, I uh, was joking with the congregation about growing up and having the catalogs, if you remember that, and had you raise your hand if you, uh, if you looked in a catalog and folded all the pages for what you wanted for Christmas. And I looked around and I saw a lot of people had their hands up, but Marvin didn't. And so I made fun of him a little bit because I'm thinking, like he's saying, I'm not old enough to know what that's about, right? And so, and so he came over later and he said, I, I, I didn't raise my hand because the family that I grew up in was, was so poor, we didn't do that. And, and, and I didn't even know that other kids did. 
And then he went on to share with me some things about how he connected that with people sometimes in their spiritual walk. And I said, you got to share that with the church. And so I emailed him and said, hey, when, when, when can you do that? And so I said, hey, take a few minutes and share with us. So give Marvin a warm City Life welcome as he shares. I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, Sharon and I have been coming here for about a, a year and two months, and, and we love it. And one of the things we really love about being here at City Life is to challenge uh, I love to be challenged. I love to be challenged physically, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, I, I love it. And, uh, and I just got challenged about two minutes ago. Uh, we went to see Exodus last night. We liked it. Yes. And Sharon said, please don't say anything. Uh, my wife and I are a little different. Uh, Sharon tells me, she says, Marvin, you think differently than a lot of people. I guess it was proven tonight. But one of the things that when Fred was sharing that a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and I almost started to cry because of the goodness of the Lord. Yes, I grew up in a generation with catalogs, but, but we didn't do the Sears catalog, look through, underline, dog ear, put the catalog by mom and dad to see so that you knew what was coming for Christmas. Uh, it is what it is, right? Life is what it is, and, and we were poor, you may have been poor, and, and whatever, but uh, many times in my house, in our refrigerator, it was ketchup, mustard, bread, and maybe milk, and, and that's what I just, that's how I grew up, that's how it was, and it was good. But I came to know Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old. And I'm very, very fortunate that when I came to know Jesus, somebody taught me or the group of people taught me, said, you need to be in the Word of God. So I'm very fortunate. Since I was 16, I've been in the Word almost daily. And you would think that my life would be close to perfect if I was in the Word 35 years or almost 35 years. But man, I mean, I am missing it on a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you, I appreciate when God shares a revelation of his goodness to me. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting down right there, Fred shared what he shared, and God said to my spirit, he said, Marvin, yeah, that's how you grew up. And, and God didn't down my mom and dad, but God said, I am your heavenly father. Your dad maybe didn't have the resources. Your dad maybe didn't have the time. Your dad maybe couldn't get some of the things that you would like to have had, but you would not even ask to get. Why would I even ask my dad for something for Christmas? You know, we would get one present, maybe two, and that's okay, nothing wrong with that. It wasn't until my sister and my brother got older and they had jobs and they would buy some presents and we had more presents under the tree. But there's some scriptures that God just really just flooded my heart with. And some of them you probably know. Part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Because why? Everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And he who knocks, the door is going to be opened. And I was like, wow. I mean, I was just receiving all this stuff. And I thought, wow, God, thank you for your goodness and sharing that with me. But then he went on a little bit more, and I want to share a couple of other uh, 
scriptures with you. And the rest of Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 8 and 9, it says, Who of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a steak? And he said, even though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to his children? And I'm receiving this, and I'm like, Wow, and then I also, you know, heard in Luke, it says, give, and it'll be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing into your lap. So I'm receiving all this. I'm like, oh, wow, my life is being changed. God said, Marvin, you had the mindset of a pauper, and that's okay, but no more. No more. He said, I want you to ask me because I love you. Now, I know that kids a lot of times ask for things that aren't the best thing for them, right? I, I know that. And I'm going really, to start doing this for God. I'm going to say, God, how about this? How about that? M my wife and I, we, we come from different backgrounds, and, and she's often said to me, Marvin, you settle. You settle. Well, no more. I mean, God is opening up my mindset. Okay, so I'm really excited about that. And then I want to finish up with this on uh, Romans chapter 8, verses, 37, verses 38 and 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to tell you, since that revelation I received a couple of weeks ago, these scriptures are different. So, I, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm going, this isn't about me just telling my story. I'm hoping that this is time for you to sit down and go, God, wow, I need a, a, a fresh revelation. And forgive me for having a pauper's mindset uh, because, I, you know, I'm, the king of the, I'm, I'm a child of the king, and, and you're a child of the king. So uh, let's enjoy his presence. Thank you, Fred. Yeah, praise the Lord. Isn't that good? So good. So, so many times we, we don't even know that we're supposed to ask. And that's part of what we're saying tonight is that we want your heart to get captured by a revelation of the goodness of God, no matter what your circumstance is. No, no matter what your situation is, you, your situation is, if we were to take the time tonight and go around the room, you might win the prize as the bleakest circumstance, right? It's the prize that you don't want, right? It's the, that you would say, oh, good God Almighty, thank the Lord that that's not my story, right? That might be you tonight. And what we're saying is, even if that's the case, the revelation of the goodness of God is supposed to flood your heart to the depth of your soul, that you would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, my God has the power to rescue me, but even if he doesn't, I will still worship him. That even if you find yourself in a circumstance, in a situation where you say, even though it feels as though he slays me and this life, I have, if nothing else, the promise of paradise and the life that's to come. 
I'm telling you, people who live with this kind of perspective, people who live with this kind of revelation, there is a seed inside of them. There is a seed that is supposed to be inside of me, and there is a seed that is supposed to be inside of you that has the ability to spring forth hope eternal even when everything around you seems to be falling apart. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I know some of you are thinking, good God, please don't do the second point, right? All right. (laughs) You know who you are. Come on. I know. I know. Yeah. Don't be pretending like you weren't thinking that. That next one's good, though. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So church for us, like we said, it's, it's, it's not a spectator sport. I don't know about you, I spent a lot of time in churches where I came and sat down and I didn't get up again until it was time to go. That's not what we want to do here at City Life. There's a living God that's in this room right now and he wants to touch your life in a profound way. So, so this, is, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. If, if, if you're here tonight, if you're here tonight and you would say, and you would, I, it, I know it takes some courage. If you would be so bold as to say, you know, you know what, Fred, I, I, I'm, I'm in a situation right now where I, I've wanted a promise from God and I've not gotten one. I've wanted a promise and it's been hard for me to hope. It's been hard for me to feel this virtue of hope that you've been talking about tonight. And in a minute, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I just want to, I want to pray over you. This morning when I was reading in, in Revelation 11, I was doing the, a little bit different of a reading plan this year. I was doing the reading through the New Testament in a year, and so has me in, in, in Revelation. We've never done a series on Revelation. Maybe we'll do that in, in, in 2015. And, and I was in Revelation 11, and it's the story about the two prophets that will come in the end of times that will have a prophetic ministry when there's great evil abounding on the earth and their prophetic ministry it lasts for like 1,200 and some odd days and they're going to be given great power fire is going to come out of their mouth to consume people that try to destroy them and the Bible says they're going to be given power to shut the rain from the heavens to demonstrate the, the power of God and you're reading this and you're like yeah come on God take the fight to them and, and, and if you've never read it before all of a sudden it says the beast comes up out of the pit and, and, and God allows the enemy to kill them and you're like whoa hey the story was it's supposed to end that way, right? And it says their bodies lay dead in the street for three and a half days. They don't bury them because the evil in the world wants to gloat. They want to gloat over how they've finally conquered God. I'm sharing that with you because I was struck by how connected it is to this moment because that might be you today. You might feel as though God's forsaken you. You might feel as though, God, this isn't how my story was supposed to end. But if you keep reading it, In Revelation 11, what you find is that God was building to a glorious story. Three and a half days later, God breathes life into these two prophets, and they stand up in the middle of the street from where they had laid dead, and God just takes them right up into heaven. See, Jesus had to wait in the tomb for three days. Lazarus had to wait in there for four, and these two prophets right in between for three and a half. Sometimes God, it feels as though he's distant. It feels as though he's letting you fail because he's building to a great story. He's building to a testimony that he wants to give to you. And it might feel like that you're in the grave today. It might feel like your situation is going to win out. It might even feel like it did for those two prophets that even the world around you looks at you and is maybe saying under their breath, even God has forsaken them. I'm telling you, that's never the case. 
it's never the case. He is good. And he wants you and he wants me to live my life with a what shall we say revelation. I am speechless and awestruck of the revelation of the goodness of God. So I'm just going to ask you right now, if you're here and you're so bold as to say, for I feel a lot of what you're saying and I need to feel what's been taught tonight. I'm just going to invite you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else, but I just want to pray for you. I know that there are some people here that you feel as though God has withheld a promise from you. This is your moment. Come on. I'm going to invite you to stand up right where you are. And we're going to wait until you do, because I know you're here. So if somebody's standing up near you, I'm going to ask you to gather around them and just put a hand on their shoulder. Maybe several people stood up around you and you can just kind of gather around them. We just want to pray over them tonight because we're believing this is a prophetic moment. We're believing that this isn't just something they're going to learn, but this is something that they're going to feel. Father, I pray for every person that's standing up, whether they've had the opportunity for people to stand around them or not, I pray that you would open up the eyes of their heart and enable them to see that all of heaven is standing around them tonight. And I pray, Father, even now in Jesus' name, that despair would begin to just fall away from around their heart, that maybe for some of them it just feels suffocating. It feels as though that despair has taken up so much room in their life. And God, just right now, we pray that hope would break out, that hope would push off that hope would shove aside all those feelings of despair, all those feelings of desperation. And even though they might not get a promise from you tonight about the circumstance and the situation that they're facing, that there would be a promise that they would latch hold of. And then there would be a promise that would take a hold of them. A what shall we say promise that you are good. Let the seed of that great promise take root in the soil of their soul and let the fruit of hope grow. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Come on, let's worship together.